Aloha, party people. You are listening to Inside the Desert Oasis Room, episode number 176. This episode is sponsored by the Tiki Bar T-Shirt Club, where their monthly t-shirt designs pay tribute to a Polynesian bar or restaurant from days long past. Each design is available for a limited time and will never be produced again. For more information and to check out this month's shirt, visit tikibartshirtclub.com. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Tiki Tea, a family-owned and operated tropical drink bar in Los Angeles, California. Come get their house specialty, The Ray's Mistake, for only $6 on Wednesdays until 9 p.m. For more information, check out their website, tiki-ti.com. On this episode, we chat with Bernard Yin and Rebecca Ramirez, the surf instrumentalist duo better known as Par Avion. Learn about their musical backgrounds, their influences, songwriting process, and hear about their latest collaboration with Mexican cumbia musicians Pero Agradecido and how a chance meetup led to their latest project, Pero Avion. As always, I hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did bringing it to you. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider helping us with your support during this challenging time. Stop by DesertOasisRoom.com to check out our merch or leave us a tip. We've got tiki mugs, t-shirts, and pendants available right now. And any purchase or donation, no matter the size, is totally appreciated. It helps keep this podcast coming to you every week. All righty. Grab a cocktail and join us inside the Desert Oasis Room. And give it up for Bernard Yin and Rebecca Ramirez.
Right on time. <laughs> Aloha, Bernard. Aloha. Um, man, what a pleasure. <laughs> the honor is all mine. I appreciate you joining the podcast. Yeah, no, it's very cool. And uh, looking back at uh, the many people that you have already uh, spotlighted, it's mind-blowing. It's uh, not to mention how beautifully you've uh, coordinated your you're getting the word out, whatever, like you said, oh, thank uh, you. iTunes, iTunes or direct from the website and, and so on and so forth. It's wonderful. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. How are you holding up with all this craziness that's happening out here with the the quarantine and the pandemic and all that kind of stuff? Um, we're, we're doing better than we probably should be because we've snuck away and are hanging out at a friend's in the Sierra foothills in Yosemite. Oh, so we're, okay. So we're we're isolating, and we're also, you know, using a lot of our free time to get into shape and go yeah. hiking. Um, uh, I like the. We both like to. Rebecca and I like to fly fish, so we're fly fishing a lot. Uh, and um, very nice. And on top of that, yeah. And on top of that, we do have music projects that are yeah. Some, sort of behind the scenes film and TV production stuff that we do. Very nice. Addition, yeah. Oh, are you doing TV production too? Is that something that you do in your day job or your real life? Um not the not TV production itself, but we sometimes create music that is used for library or oh, Okay. Um, or, or you know custom custom music uh, it's not it's not our main thing we don't do it all the time so i'm not definitely not going to brag about it but it's a really cool and fun uh yeah part of the part of the whole musical picture that of what we are very cool very cool let me start by saying congratulations on your new ep uh, pero uh, is it pero with uh, do i roll the r pero avion is that you correct? Got, yeah, 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 yeah. Perro, you can roll the R or not, but of course that means dog in Spanish, and then avión, which means plane, both in French and Spanish. Okay. And, uh, and it's just a silly blending of the names of yeah. the two bands that collaborated. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk more about that with you in a minute, but first what I want to do is give our listeners a little bit of background about you and Par Avion. Because I know that you've got a pretty extensive musical background. Yeah, um, speaking for myself personally, I've been, uh, you know, beating my head against the rock and roll wall for uh, <laughs> quite a, quite a while. And uh, and I say rock and roll wall so that uh, you know it's broadly defined. I'm passionate about so many different types of music that uh, um, you know it has ranged from. Uh, shoegazy noise type stuff in the nineties. I toured with a band called Medicine that some people know from you know, certain uh, cult circles, if you will, uh, all the way to something eclectic and showy like Elvez, uh, oh, yeah. uh, Robert Lopez. Yeah. So I toured for many years with him, um, and uh, it would take quite a while to go through it all. But I. I I cite those and maybe a few others in a moment as examples of just sort of the, the diversity of uh, uh, musical places where my my passion for music has taken me as a guitar. At, uh, yeah. the more recent years, uh, the fuzz tones would be a good example. Yeah, yeah. Um, garage and uh, 
Yeah, and uh, Rebecca, who I do have here with me, uh, how about? Hey, aloha. <laughs> Why don't you share with Adrian uh, your <laughs> musical journey? Musical journey. <laughs> well, I don't have a quite an extensive background as Bernard does, but um, he basically taught me how to play the bass, and so okay. I've been playing with Paragon for you know the last uh, five years, I believe, mm-hmm. and uh, it's. It's been good fun. I enjoy the challenge of learning anything new. And um, it was a way for Bernard and I to spend some time together, uh, do something that he loved and I was interested in. So it's worked out well for for us and our That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious, like, uh, your, as far as a background is concerned, and for both of you, were you in like a musical kind of upbringing? Did you have family members that played music in the house? <laughs> uh, well, me and my family, they're, we love music. I mean, we're um, Mexican-American. You know, it's very much a part of, of, of our lives, our, our heritage, our culture. But um, I actually met Bernard through some cousins who moved from Texas, where I'm from, to L.A., uh, because they were pursuing a musical career oh, and they met Bernard and Bernard uh, auditioned and joined their band. And so, um, so yeah, I guess uh, if you include them and my family, which they are, they're my cousins. Uh, then yeah, I have a, a musical okay. background in, in that sense. And it's, it's how I met Bernard. Okay. Their band. Yeah. And for myself, it was not a terribly musical background, although it, it was it was always sort of revealed later on, like, oh, did you know that your grandmother was actually a, a piano teacher? And you're like, uh, no, I never knew that. You know, so yeah. it's one of those things where, at least in the case of my immediate family, my mother and father, it was they would just play records, and uh, fortunately, it was quite a variety. So my my father would, uh, you know, he he had a weakness for let's say Johnny Cash, while and my mother would listen to. Uh, um, Edie Gourmet and the Trio Los Panchos and these are things that are kind of you wouldn't always think of given their heritages because my father's Chinese and my mother's Greek but born and raised okay. in France so, okay um, interesting you know, and I, yeah <laughs> yeah I find the musical background thing an interesting to ask when I speak to musicians because it goes one of two ways either the musical background made such an impression and influenced them into following that path or it drove them crazy and they don't want to have anything to do with it. (laughs) (laughs) There's like no middle road, you know? So yeah, that's, that's what I find uh, kind of fascinating. It's, it's either one or the other. And I'm curious if the musical background that your parents had, the, the types of music that they listened to, let's say that, did did that influence you guys at all in the kind of music that you started to play in your band? Um, for me, my parents they listened to a lot of oldies and like soul Motown, and I mean, I guess a bit of everything. Um, okay, from my parents' younger, like the seventies and the sixties. And so I grew. I kind of grew up listening to that. And I forgot that I did play one year in like marching band when I was in sixth grade. I went to a private school, and we were doing like parades and stuff. And um, 
my my music teacher there, he had us playing like <laughs> some funkier and and I guess the like sly and the family stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I did have I did have exposure to playing some of that stuff, but um, as far as uh, what we started with Paravian, um, you know Bernard. Bernard liked surf music. I, I didn't really grow up listening to it or anything. And uh, it was a way for us to focus on our instruments only. Well, for me, because I was learning bass. And, okay. uh, and so that that's, for me, why, why I started there. And I think now it's evolved a bit more where we throw in other influences, um, not just the, the surf or the... But it's always kind of twangy, but it's, right. it's not always like traditional surf. Right. I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd like to add that uh, what's interesting about your question, and Rebecca touched upon it too, is that some of these influences are only now sort of kind of returning to the surface because uh, of our uh, ability uh, musically um, improving and growing and evolving. And also an important aspect of what we do with Paravion specifically is we uh, we really look for opportunities to embrace different genres and mix them up. We don't try to overthink it, but they're you know they have to be intuitive and they have to come from the heart. So you know, more recent material has included elements of let's say dance or disco (laughs) or even disco, while the while the guitar on top of it could be Dwayne Eddy. You know, oh yeah, yeah. And, you know, you think back to the 80s where, like, you know, Art of Noise did the Peter Gunn theme and, and or Blondie did Atomic, which is a song that we cover. And, you know, it's it's not uh, we're not going to say we're revolutionizing anything, but uh, we're we're not the first to say, hey, what what's wrong with a, a disco beat with a Dwayne Eddy guitar part on top of it? Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, I love that. I love yeah. when styles like that are. Uh, what do they call that? Um, a mashup, uh-huh. or you know, yeah. there, there's different terms for it. Yeah, yeah but I did, I love that. I love that, and, and you guys seem to do that well with this new album. Which why don't we jump into that? Let's talk about this new EP. You guys yeah. are combining the surf sound with some Latin America sounds as well, and not Latin America rhythms. Yeah, it's a, a cumbia rhythm specifically. Um, I can let Bernard. Well, yeah, there's, it's it's cumbia uh, with, uh, with primarily surf type guitars, and um, what's funny about that, and you know, I'm like I'm like sort of like lifting the curtain here or exposing our our secret mixology formula here, okay. but you know, it's not really that. <laughs> but is uh, is that back in the '60s when the Peruvian cumbia bands were discovering wah pedals and echoes and right. all the psychedelic tools they were developing what has become called chicha and there's a there's a little bit of a re- revival for this and the surf community seems to be recognizing it as well um we're doing it just because it's ridiculous fun um but so it has become kind of one of the uh you know one of the feathers that we we put into our cap as we mm-hmm. uh, as we perform yeah. or record, um, and and uh, to better explain how it happened was I had done a festival 
in Mexico City uh, about a year and a half ago with the Fuzz Tones, and I met some of the young surf musicians that are that are all over that city. It's a, there's quite a movement there, and and we agreed to try and collaborate on some shows, which did take place uh, February of this year. Okay, and and we they were like almost overly ambitious in booking it up like oh my god in seven days we've got eight gigs you know it's like i, I kind of want to like chill on that <laughs> afternoon and go, go have a few tacos right. or go get coffee, you know? and and i said well you know what if let's let's leave that day open and do and just record something yeah, and um yeah. and so we agreed on uh and this is kind of cool i i i suggest this to all musicians uh you know, and of course, this was just a fortuitous event. But I mean, I would I would love to do this with any type of band whenever you're when I'm traveling. But we said, okay, two songs will be, um, well, each of us will record one song of our own, mm-hmm. and then each of us, and then collaboratively, we will all record and jam on one of the songs of the other, so to speak, mm-hmm. and um, so that we so that this there are sort of variations within the collection. Um, so one of the tracks on this EP is purely Pero Agradecido. One of them is Pero Agradecido song with all of us involved. And then one of them is purely Paravion. And then another one is Paravion, a Paravion song with Pero Agradecido. Oh, very nice. Um, yeah. So we kind of like, yeah, we created these different sort of formulas of how to approach the recording session. Um, and for surf music fanatics, uh, we were lucky to have on this tour uh, Dusty Watson, who has quite a look right. in the surf community, right. and uh, Dick Dale uh, in the garage world, the Sonics, Slack on his own band, which is really amazing. Yeah. Anyway, I'm rambling. Uh, no, that's okay. That's that's why I, I have you on the show, right? Talk, talk, tell us all about this. I'm curious about Pero Agradecido. They're a young surf band, is that correct? The style of music? How would you define them, Rebecca? Because there's some cool aspects of who and what they are. Um, I don't want to offend Sith or <laughs> the <laughs> other band members, but Pero Agradecido, they, they do, it's very, it's very much a cumbia band, but okay. the way he okay. plays his guitar, it's, 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 I mean, it's twangy, it's like reverb, it's, he's, he's like a surf guitarist, and, um, He's combined the two, and and from what oh. I understand, that's what Cerro Agradecido is. That's what they're doing. Okay. But also, you know, I think we use the word young when we mention them because it's so entertaining to uh, to see see people in their. I mean, some of the members I think are in their early or mid twenties, uh-huh. all the way into maybe early thirties, and. Oh, that, that to, is that I is young. I hate to young. say it, but that's miles behind me. <laughs> that's and, miles uh, behind me, man. I'm in my fifties, so that's that's yeah. that's decades yeah, behind and me. So am I, <laughs> and so am I. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. It it, it it felt like it, it's kind of like this reverse form of validation. It's like right. I, I don't know if I I don't know if I need to play with any of my heroes. I'd like to play with the young people yeah. who are. They have a good vibe. It's a, it's yeah. nice, uh, I mean, I'm not much older than that. I'm in my 30s, but yeah, they they offer a freshness that's uh, yeah. You know, it's I, great to be around. I find it interesting that the younger generation has picked up on surf instrumental guitar because 
that's something from like 50 years ago, right? And yes. they're influenced by a lot of those older guys and also kind of the, the newer movement there. And I just, I find it kind of cool. And of course, they're going to put their spin on it and they're going to put their personality and their flavor in it. And it, it really evolves the sound. You know, it's, it, it still has the traditional surf instrumental guitar sound, but with a modern flavor or with a modern feel. And um, we're seeing a little bit, you know, of a movement there more and more. These young guys are coming up where you go to these surf shows and it's not just a bunch of old guys standing around watching a bunch of other old guys play music. (laughs) (laughs) Right. 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 So, and and then what you guys are doing with, with them, like with Pero Agradecido is something that's even adding even more of your personality and, and, and evolving it even further. And, and the music that you guys sent me, man, I love it. I love it. It's really, really, right. it, it goes Thank so you. well. The, the styles go so well together. I love it. Thank so, you. yeah, you're welcome. So, I'm curious about the writing and the recording process of this particular record. I know that you said you, you, said you had some music that you guys performed together. How, how did you guys write the music for that? Right. So, there, I would say there are, I don't know, two or three approaches that uh, uh, apply to this particular project and and that actually was a huge part of the fun is so in one case for the song Muscle Beach um, it was literally something that Rebecca and I just uh, worked on casually prior to the uh, trip and meaning the trip to Mexico and and we did jam it a little bit with drummers here in okay. California and to sort of like get a vibe on like how fast it should be. And, uh, um, and, and we essentially demoed it, I think in logic or even garage band or something. It was pretty oh, simple. Okay. Okay. A memo on your phone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In fact, one of the references for the recording was a voice memo on the telephone, just of us in the living room, so to speak, yeah. jamming it. But, we did develop, you know, a form because, like, within the tune, there are a few little breaks and starts and stops mm-hmm. and stuff, and and then we just sent that to Sis, uh, who's the essentially the leader of uh, Pero Agradecido, and he circulated it with his within his uh, little gang, and um, and he did essentially the same thing, you know, uh, conversely by sending us a piece of music that uh, we were gonna partake in okay and and we we left a lot of it up to spontaneity and trust which okay. was okay i think i think part of the reason that there's that energy that, yeah. um, and you know it's almost like a we're the, like a third party we're like us the musicians like rebecca and i it's almost like we're looking down at somebody else doing an experiment <laughs> because <laughs> it, it's one of those glorious things yeah. where i don't i i feel like we didn't we don't really need to take credit for it because we just oh we just we we can take credit for coming up with the idea being open to it yeah and being open to it but the rest is about the beauty of music and i don't think anyone would uh disagree is is to try and not overthink it or get in the way of the spirit that needs right. to convey and the vibe. And 
it was so refreshing too because you know certain surf songs for example you can get together with thousands of musicians across the world and you can say oh we're going to play Mr. Moto and there's a 99% chance everybody's going to play it the same way and right right there's no there's nothing wrong with that and a lot of people will you know throw in their own little uh, twists and turns but there's a form and we we made sure not to get too heavy-handed with like oh you screwed up you should have played faster in that one section and we were just listening we were re-listening to it the other day for you know kind of uh revisiting the track and we noticed things the rhythm section was doing it was like oh (laughs) <laughs> okay, yeah. so you decided to go. You decided to go there. I guess yeah, it really yeah. worked because I never noticed. It. Yeah. So when you when you guys collaborated on this, I've got a few questions here that um, you know. As an outsider, I'm curious about when you when you write the structure of the music. Was it different than the normal structure that you use before uh, knowing that you have a different kind of genre that you're mixing in. And also uh, was there a language barrier between you and the other musicians? Good question. I, I will say that for us, when we were writing uh, muscle beach, it was something Bernard and I were already doing. And, and then it, it turned out that it was going to be, I guess the perfect song to collaborate with okay. the Perro Agradecido. And, and so Bernard and I, we listened to a, a variety of music and, and, and we were kind of leaning toward um, something more like Latin influence when mm-hmm. we were writing Mo- Muscle Beach. So it definitely worked out that we recorded that song with them. But it was something that we already had in mind. Like we were going to sort of lean that oh. direction. In the B section, okay. um, you know, it. my baseline is definitely <laughs> something that would be compatible with a, a cumbia rhythm. So, um, and I wrote it purposely that way before I even knew that was the song we were going to okay. record okay. with them. It was just something that I we, we were playing with and we, we wanted to to try to do on on a more technical level and to to maybe add to an answer to that question it was it there's a lot there was a lot of room it's not unusual for a, an instrumental band to have more than one guitar so it was it was pretty easy to also communicate in advance like okay on this part it'll be a little bit more in favor of you doing the solo versus me um, oh, okay. And when we and when we were actually recording, um, we did record it. I would say ninety nine percent live, so to speak. Versus, of course, like oh, we're going to track the drums, and then we'll come in after lunch and we'll do the bass and guitars. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't it wasn't built step by step. It was a good old fashioned everybody in a room together, standing in a circle, playing their instruments, and so it wasn't too hard either to like there could be a moment where I would strum a chord and I would just point to sis indicating, you know, almost like a jazz band would do or something like it's, Hey, take it away, blow some sax. Yeah. 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 So it was kind of fun to have that kind of thing. And in fact, the timbali player, um, was, you could tell was almost nervous or awkward in the studio and you almost had to remind him when it was his time to like take, to take the spot. (laughs) Like, dude, 
go crazy. Right. Come on. You know? <laughs> he was a good player, but he was a little bit yeah. reserved. Yeah. But there, and maybe also when you when you asked about the language barrier, this he speaks great English, and so okay, um, okay, we we could easily communicate with him. Um, and and Bernard and I, we both speak a hablamos un yeah, we we speak a little Spanish. So, okay. Um, I so speak really <laughs> I speak tourist Spanish, so I, I know enough to get to get by and enough to get in trouble. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, I was curious if there was a language barrier that may have affected the creative process or the collaboration or anything like that. So um um but it doesn't sound like there was. No. No, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh so let's talk about the timing and the release. Uh, it's it's kind of a weird time to release an album. <laughs> How do you release a, a record in the middle of a pandemic? Right. Yeah i I have no perfect answer for that because yeah, in a, in a perfect world we would have gotten our act together with you know uh, getting the song uploaded to the distro kit so that it would go on to Spotify and all that stuff. You know, all of that's ideally that would have happened a lot sooner. Right. Um, right. Even though we literally were coming back to California after this trip to Mexico, just as the whole pandemic situation started yeah. to get ugly. We're, we're talking early March. And um, and then there were some classic rock and rollisms, like the engineer guy who was who ran the studio was was more of a musician in a sort of humorous, stereotypical sense than we were because he was kind of flaky. He was drinking throughout the mm-hmm. whole recording session, uh, as in hard liquor. And it was, uh, it was, it, <laughs> it was kind of comical, had a little bit of spinal tap in it. And, uh, you know, for all we know, he could have circled back with mixes and, uh, materials for us to run with much sooner as well but um we also figure you know we could just keep overthinking this or let's just get it out there and maybe maybe now's as good a time as any because it, it keeps us all right gives, you know right. keeps our spirits up to sure. some good music and, and remember when we all got together in a room and got crazy and uh, hope yeah. that it happens again yeah i look at that group photo that came with your press kit and yeah Man, I could feel the chemistry in the photo. Everybody just looks so, I mean, you could feel the vibe just looking at that photo, you know. And I got to say, you know, the music that you sent me, I wish there was more than four songs. I I, I, I mean, it's really excellent. It's really great. You know, I, I really and we're really dying to do it again. And yeah, and we've got we've got some fun ideas like uh, I don't know if it'll really happen or how we will chew on it and spit it out musically. But, you know, like do a do a cover of El Chicano. Tell her she's lovely. That mm-hmm. hit from like 72 or 73 because it has dual guitars, but it it can be infused with a lot of Latin percussion. Um but of course, focusing on originals too, we really feel like we could sort of take what we've started and blow it up into a yeah. kind of a new, a fresh subgenre. Yeah, I was going to say, I yeah. think you have something there. So if, if you were working on Muscle Beach before you even did this with uh, Pero Agradecido, I have to read that and make sure I say it correctly. 
I think you have something there because it's something that is fresh and different with still, again, as we talked earlier, with still that kind of that traditional sound, right? So, and it keeps the music interesting. So, uh, yeah, I I think you have something there. Are you guys planning on doing another project together at all? You mean with with Pedro Agradecido? Yeah, yeah. Yes, we're dying to. Yeah, I I would... We've talked about, we've discussed an album potentially. We mm-hmm. don't know when or how. Yeah, yeah. Know any of the details yet, but we we felt like what we did in the studio that one day, it's like, wow, we could really, we could really make something. So yeah, yeah maybe an album. Yeah, I'd love to hear more from you guys. And you know, the thing is, just kind of right now, the timing is just, God, it's weird. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, it'd be awesome to see you play the music live and then especially with the new EP out. Uh, but that's right now that can't happen. Right. With all of us in quarantine. And then it also puts on hold this kind of momentum you guys have with Pero. Right. You guys could have just <laughs> continued to, to do more music. But, you know, right now we're all kind of in a holding pattern. <laughs> no, so, you are correct. Yeah. And uh and we we're always looking for an excuse to go to Mexico, and it's, sure, me too. <laughs> and right, and, and yeah. yeah, and you know, there we're we're far from the first uh, California-based uh, group of musicians or you know musicians in singular terms who've called Mexico a second home. You know, yeah. yeah. Danny Amos of Low Straight Jackets has spent tons of time down there. Uh, um, that's just one of Johnny and Davina of human drama going to a whole different genre. Mexico's like, it's a world that has embraced his music much more than anybody in the United States. And yeah. uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 in, it's interesting how seductive and attractive it is to, I'm sure there are other places, you know. <laughs> oh, I love it down there. I, I was just down there too in March, uh, and oh. yeah, we went down there for my wife's birthday. And when we flew down, the airport was busy and packed. The plane was full. We were down there for a week, and when we flew home, the plane was only one third full. It was two thirds empty. Wow. Uh, yeah, because things had changed in that time, you know. And when we got back to LAX, it was really, really slow. It was there was no traffic. And I think within a week, maybe five days, less than a week, they had put everybody in quarantine. So um, we had just gotten that trip in, you know. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't wait until this whole thing is over and we can go back to our normal lives. (laughs) So it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. This episode is sponsored by Skull and Crown Trading Company, located in the historic Chinatown district of Honolulu on the island of Oahu. Skull and Crown is Hawaii's premier exotic destination. Enjoy delicious island favorites and classically crafted cocktails in their mysterious tiki room or their enchanted courtyard. For more information, visit them on the web at skullandcrowntrading.com or follow them on Facebook or Instagram at Skull and Crown Trading Co. You and I actually have a Philippine connection. Did you know oh, that? I no, I didn't know that. No, let's let's talk about that. So so tell me about that. 
Uh, well, quite simply, I was born in the Philippines. I was born in Manila. Oh, really? Wait yeah, a second. I think you mentioned this to me before in a message of a few years ago. Yeah, way back, probably. Okay. So I'm not going to ask you when you were born, but we might possibly have been born pretty close together because I was born in Manila, too, in the 60s. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, for me, it was 64, February 29, 19. Okay. Oh, you're a leap year baby. Yeah. So when do you celebrate your birthday? Do you celebrate that on the 28th of February or <laughs> March 1st? Uh, you know, whatever the convenient weekend night is, I guess. And uh, we um, this year, the uh, two thousand twenty twenty was a leap day or leap yeah a leap year mm -hmm. um, year. And uh, so we celebrated it. Part of the reason we did this run to Mexico was to celebrate my birthday in Mexico. Oh, very nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a really good part of the story where the night before the recording session, and you might want to. You might want to add this. I was just buckled over with food poisoning, and I've been to I've been to Mexico many times and never had the classic stereotypical Montezuma's, Montezuma's revenge. revenge. Yeah. I got I got clobbered, and we actually had a, a gig that night. So oh. I was like curled up before going on stage, vomiting in the most disgusting little restroom, jumping on stage, played a set, and then barely made it back to the Airbnb wow. and just like pass out. <laughs> Do you remember what you ate? Uh, we sort of <laughs> we <laughs> did a process of elimination. Okay. We think it was a bowl of beans. Okay. Like chattels, chattels beans. Okay. Now when you ate because, it, did you, did you know that it was bad? Did you like, could, yeah. if you think back, like, you know what? I think it was this because when I ate it, it tasted off. No, but it was no. the only thing that Bernard and I ate in common. And for a moment, like during the night, I kind of felt like I had a stomach, but I didn't eat nearly as much as he did. Like I only had a, a few spoonfuls, maybe like one or two, maybe okay. just a couple. And and everything else we ate in common. And, you know, I was fine. And I, my sister and my brother-in-law were there. And my sister ate the same, one of the same things we ate as well. And she didn't have any problems. Okay. And, we think we're pretty sure it was that Charles, Charles beans. What's your birthday, Adrian? Okay, so my birthday is nine eleven. Nine eleven, nineteen sixty eight. I shouldn't laugh because it was a tragic day for a lot of families. But uh, nine eleven, uh, people say to me, "Oh, I'm sorry, your birthday was nine eleven. And I always respond, "Don't feel sorry for me. You know, it's. I mean, I'm still yeah. here and. You know, right. there's a lot of people who suffered a tragedy that day, including our country. But uh, I was born on 9 11, 1968, which really was just an uneventful day until uh, 2001, right? Right. But um, came here when I was three years old. So that's, that's how old I was. Yeah. And, and I grew up in Southern California. And, and um, you know, my dad used to listen to a lot of surf music. Because that was when he was young, right? He was born. In, he was born in '41, so in the '60s was his. Well, he was in his 20s, and he was. That was what was the popular thing to listen to. And in the '80s, I got a lot of his records, and I was influenced by his record collection. And I enjoyed, you know. And that's why I, I look at these young guys of this generation today and wonder how they were influenced because. You know, that was, their their dads are probably my age, you know. Yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, that's scary to say that. <laughs> I, know, I know. Do you have kids? I do. I have, uh, I have a son who will be 21 in a few months and I have a daughter that, Woo! yeah, I have a daughter that will be 18 next month. So, okay. um, yeah, yeah. My daughter, she, she, she just graduated high school last month or two, mo- two months ago. Yeah. I was kind of bummed for her because of the whole, you know, quarantine thing. They, they did, a. she didn't, she didn't, she didn't get to, uh, experience a traditional graduation ceremony. And right. yeah, of course they didn't have a prom and she, she missed out on grad night cause they didn't have a grad night. And all the things that come with being a senior, but you know the graduation was pretty awesome. It was a, it was a drive-through graduation, and we were in and out of there in ten minutes. So <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have to sit baking under a sun uh, for you know for an hour waiting for her name to be called. So, um, what about you guys? Any kids in the house? Mm. Our fly rods, yeah, our, <laughs> our instruments, yeah, our guitars, oh, okay. our guitars are our kids. So that, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, uh, I, I assume that as musicians, you know, you play guitar and bass, but is there anything else that maybe you enjoy playing that maybe most people wouldn't know? Oh, uh, well, I'm I'm a hack at it, but I have um, uh, a theremin. Oh, really? And, yeah, and uh, I actually need to get that thing out of storage because I want to record some kind of Halloween like stuff for both for kicks but also for potential licensing uses um but i dabble in lap steel and ukulele and yeah. uh, acoustic guitar um but i don't deviate too far from there i you know i i don't play trumpet for example or you know not even harmonica but but I love the philosophy of different instruments sort of talking to each other or having a relationship. And I know that, you know, I don't know whether it was a bunch of just uh, uh, lip service or just trying to be uh, trying to be impressive in a show off. But you know, I think it was like Richie Black or of Deep Purple used to say he liked he preferred listening to saxophone players to get his musical ideas. Or, yeah, I'm. I, you know, I forgot it could have been Jimmy Page, but it was one of these guitar heroes from the UK that uh, and and I get that. And I think uh, um, Carlos Santana used to always say, I think of what I play as somebody singing like, you know, I'm I, in my head. The guitar is uh, coming from is coming from the same circuitry yeah. as if I was if I was a good singer. This is what it would sound like. Uh, you know, I used to play piano when I was younger. And mm-hmm. it helped me learn to play the ukulele because I played piano for several years when I was younger. And so I knew my scales from the piano. And when I applied right. it to playing stringed instruments, everything clicked for me. And I there thought, oh, go. so this is the scale, right? So this is how the scale right. looks on the fretboard versus how it looks on a keyboard. And right. I've heard that professional singers apply the scale in their the same way in their heads and which is you know I'm not a singer so uh, it, that's a little bit more of a foreign concept to me but it helps me understand what you're saying there because if it's all relatable right the way the way that music is music is music totally. yeah so the way that it crosses over from one instrument to the next and when you look at like a vibraphone, 
you know, yeah. I never, oh. I never understood it at first. How do they know where to, you know, where to put their mallet? But then right. I started seeing the flats and sharps in there, and I thought, oh, it's just like a piano keyboard. Right. You know, so, um, do yeah. you play vibraphone? No, I don't. I don't. But uh, I have friends that play, and so mm-hmm. I would ask them questions. And then when they started pointing things out to me, oh no, this these are this these are the sharps and flats right here, and then this is your, your standard scale. And and then when I looked at it, I thought, oh, so I can see the piano keyboard now. I totally see it. So if you know how yeah. to play piano, I, you can basically translate it or transfer it right over to the vibraphone. The vibraphone. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I get it. And um, without digressing too much but to sort of toot our horn our uh in our early incarnation our uh, power Hills drummer was dj Bonebreak from x oh yeah as, okay as you may know as you may know he's actually a pretty cool vibraphone oh player. yeah 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 and, so, uh, so does he play i mean so, so that's the thing too is that you know if you're playing vibes you have to understand that and not to discredit drummers but it's just that it's a different kind of instrument you know so um yeah i don't i don't want that to sound like i'm dissing drummers or anything but you know when you look at a vibraphone you're actually looking at notes versus right versus pads right or skins yeah so yeah um i like him more as a vibraphone player than a drummer too by the way but that's okay you and me Okay. <laughs> and everybody else that's listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh yeah. you'll you'll probably be happy to hear that actually. He's an incredible sense of humor. And that actually that's helped our band a lot. We've been blessed by a lot of amazing drummers who've had yeah. and of course helped but, me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and a lot and what's interesting about Rebecca is she uh if I could brag about her is she Sure. She, under, she understands the spirit and the, the, the groove and the pocket of music. So even if she's playing just one note, she's playing it in a good place, not too fast, not too slow. And so even early on when you would say, oh, yeah, Rebecca's a beginner, and yet we would have these hotshot drummers, not once. And, and they were all really good, good friends of mine and they would have said, Hey, you know what, ne- before next rehearsal, could you guys work on that thing a little bit more? You know, we never got that because, uh, even if she's playing something simple, everybody was able to lock with her. And that was a oh. kind of a cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Awesome. You know, there was one thing I was thinking about and we've already, you and I've already, we've touched upon it a little bit in this conversation, okay. but, you know, like we're trans, we're transplants, we're immigrant kids. And, uh, Part of this tiki culture and surf culture, I don't even have anything conclusive to say about it, but it's it entertains me, you know, as long as you don't get too critical, how it's sort of a funny collision of cultures, you know? Yeah. You think yeah. of, you know, the, the ukulele, of course, was a Portuguese instrument, but now you, you can't help but think of it as something that's iconic of Polynesia. Right. And, and, and like you and I, you know, I'm a Californian through and through, you know, I'm a surfer. I know California inside and out. I, I, I speak surf lingo better than anyone. (laughs) And, and yet I'm this cultural train wreck that, uh, you know, came to these shores, uh, and, uh, 
And, you know, and I have a soft spot for tiki culture and Polynesian uh, kitsch. You know, it's it's an interesting thing about this whole community. And everybody, everybody seems to be on the same page about it. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, growing up in Southern California, and I'm just like you. I grew up surfing out here. Um, in the 80s, it was all surfing to me. The 80s, that whole decade was was all beach to me. And that translated to tropical lifestyle, which translated to, you know, the tiki stuff, right? And it all was all encompassing with the surf music and and the um, tropical imagery and, and the laid back lifestyle and all that. That was all part of my youth and, and how I connected to all of that. And the thing about tiki is that, you know, it draws people from so many different backgrounds. You know, people find tiki through, maybe through that, through surf culture. Maybe they find it through the cocktails. Maybe they find it through the music. Um, maybe they find yeah. it through mid-century uh, preservation, architecture. Uh, maybe they right. find it through hospitality, through the hospitality industry. Or yeah, they find yeah. it through uh, some kind of an art movement. Maybe they enjoy lowbrow art or they enjoy advertising, like you know, classic vintage advertising art or whatever. And Tiki kind of touches all of those different things, right? And so... That, um, that is That was beautiful. You, you, you summarized that so brilliantly. And you just reminded me of a story that... Um, I, I, say, I tell this story pretty regularly, so, but I, I first met Otto um, from Tiki Oasis when he was just starting to throw little backyard bar like bar, backyard tiki parties yeah. here in here in Mar Vista yeah and and I met him because I would go into used record stores and in addition to whatever I was looking for you know let's say the old, an old Jefferson airplane album I would also take a dip into the uh, um, international section with a focus on Hawaiian and sure. Polynesia yeah. and, and uh, genres of Micronesia, South Pacific, whatever. And Otto, in his punk rock way, would uh, put flyers in between yeah. records at the used <laughs> record store with his phone number saying, anyone who's interested in tiki culture, tiki mugs, you know, Polynesian music, call me. Okay. And I mean, it was... It was almost as simple as that. And it was totally clandestine. Like he went into a record store and without telling the owner would be sure. putting these flyers in there. Now I knew he was leaving flyers at the record stores, but I didn't know he was putting them in between the records. That's genius. It was totally genius. And I said, Oh my God, this guy's my best friend already. <laughs> and you know, and we, that was, I don't remember when that was, it was so long ago. But that, that had to be nineties. That was that was years before the first Tiki Oasis. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, first Tiki Oasis was 2001, and he was doing those parties back in the 90s. And and so here's right. the thing. I was already doing the Tiki thing back then. I probably started collecting in the late 80s somewhere. Uh -huh. I want to say like wow. 88, 89, something like that. Oh, I didn't know I was collecting. I was just buying the stuff that I liked. And then right. it was after a few years I realized that I had a collection. And... And that was just because every time I saw something at a thrift store, and I would go to thrift stores to buy clothes. I was looking at clothes. I wasn't looking right. for tiki stuff. But if I saw something cool, I'd buy it. And a lot of it was tiki stuff. 
And here's what kills me is that in the 90s, there was a small little group of guys that Otto hung out with, which was Sven and a few other guys that were doing the whole Tiki thing, right? Jeff Berry was part of that group. And I didn't know those guys back then. I, I met Sven, I think, in either 99 or 2000 when he was still writing the book of Tiki. And yep. I, I met him at Oceanic Arts because he used to borrow materials from them, uh, brochures, menus, that kind of thing, postcards, for the book. And, oh, my God. And as a Tiki guy, I used to go to Oceanic Arts all the time to buy stuff, right? Tiki yeah. and decor and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and I met Sven that way. And I remember being really excited about the book of Tiki, waiting for that thing to come out and thinking like, man, what are you going to finish this thing? And apparently it became a joke within their social circle because he worked on it for almost a decade before yeah. it got released. And I wish I'd known those guys back then because I was kind of a loner, you know, doing this whole Tiki thing. And my, I remember my sisters used to make fun of me. They used to laugh at me and you know, call me, call me obsessed, call me crazy and all that yeah. stuff. And right. yeah. And I, I actually started to believe them because <laughs> I didn't know anybody else who had the same obsession as I did. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's cool that there, there was a, a little bit of a parallel universe and you didn't have, I mean, you're to be admired for having gone it alone, so to speak. Um, so I, I'm going to say this, so this is what's crazy to me. So, we were in Mexico at the same time this year. We were born, both born in the Philippines, in Manila in the 60s. We were both into tiki's, probably frequenting the same uh, record stores in the 90s. How have we never met before? I know, I know, I know. And I was going to say, we probably were at <laughs> one or two parties at least that we didn't oh, even yeah. realize. Yeah. I know. And, I and, know. and for our listeners that don't know, I've never met Bernard in person or Rebecca. It's, a, it's only... It's just this kind of stuff, right? Talking on uh, Messenger on Facebook or texting each other or talking on, through microphones for the podcast, but we've never met in person. So, I, you know, I think we've had a, a, a nanosecond run in at Tiki Oasis where you, know you what? were doing You're right. your bro- broadcast and you just said, you know, if you can make it down to my to, to this area, I'll You're be right. and I couldn't do it. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But that's about it. That's the extent of it. <laughs> well, we're going to have to change that. We're going to have to change that after this whole pandemic is over. And, and I'd love to come out and see when you guys play, whenever that next thing is, or even just get okay. together and, and have a drink together. I'd be so into that. And do you still surf? Because I surf. No, I don't. So, okay. Uh, so okay, I'm going to tell you this, how this all whole thing ended. And I'm not going to blame my first wife, but it was because of my first wife. So <laughs> so what happened was, and it's not her fault, what happened was, um, you know, when uh, we got serious and we settled down and started a family, we moved pretty far inland. I live in Eastvale, which is in uh, the Corona, Ontario area. Okay. Right, and, right. And, uh, and I just found less and less time to go to the beach and, and get a surf in once I started once we had a family and uh, over the years I kept I would try to get out there and get in the water and it was less and less every year like I said and one year um, as we would move and I would scale my stuff down because she was a minimalist she hated that I collected all this stuff it was all just clutter to her (laughs) and so 
it was always like, oh, okay, I'm not using this. I'll just sell it, you know. And I sold all my boards except for one. It was a custom board that I had made for myself. And um, I hung on to that until I was somewhere in my 30s and I had my uh, I had laser eye surgery done. And oh. the eye doctor who did it for me uh, is a friend of mine that learned that he took up surfing in his in his 40s. And, uh, you know, it's a leisurely thing to, to de-stress from work. And as he really got into it, and I, at that point, wasn't really surfing at all anywhere. It'd been a few years since I'd been in the water. He gave me such a break and did such a good job with my laser eye surgery that I gave it my, my, that custom board I gave to him as a gift. So, um, yeah, so I don't have, I don't even have a board right now. So, um, yeah, so it's been, it's been a long, long time since I've been in the water. So. Um, well, it'll be a well, it'll be a nice tropical drink then when when that is when they when when we can when we can. For yeah, out loud. yeah, yeah. I'd love that. I'd love that. And you know, I'd love to host you guys over here too at the Desert Oasis Room. I'll make you a cocktail. Maybe we'll barbecue or have some food. Whatever. <laughs> I, I think it'll be fun. Where are you guys based That's out of? By the great. way, great, incredible. I'm sorry. What'd you say? Where are you guys based out of? By the way. Uh, we live in Santa Monica. Okay. Okay. So LA area. Um, yeah. Yeah. And even, even there, how come we haven't met in person yet? Right. Well, and we can, you know, Dusty lives in Corona, so we could, yeah. we, could we could recruit Dusty with a, 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 a snare and some brushes and we could, we could do low volume silliness in the desert away. Oh, I'd love that. What we should yeah. do is, uh, I'll have you guys over. We'll we'll have drinks. Maybe you guys can play a little music, and we'll do a live feed from that. We'll do a live video. Oh, and, that uh, is so cool! Yeah, we'll have some of our All listeners right. enjoy it remotely. <laughs> well, before we wrap up, I've got a couple quick questions for you. Sure. Let me let me ask number one. Other than surf music, what are you guys listening to today? Ah, uh. <laughs> what's on what's on your playlist? Um. Our plant, well, we are in this here Nevada, right? So we, we do a lot. We've been doing quite a bit of driving into the national park and all that. And um, there's this genre of Brazilian music uh, called uh, Choro, which is okay. like a classical music and, and also some samba. And, uh, and recently as well, we've been listening to quite a bit of like I'm in the Motown, like soul R and B and disco. <laughs> we we can't help but listen. Yeah, almost almost once a day, we'll listen to the dance version, the extended version of Diana Ross's "Love Hangover." Oh, I love it. Which is which is just <laughs> the juiciest, sexiest oh, it totally music is. on earth. You know, it totally um, is. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and Rebecca doesn't know this, but I was listening to the first Van Halen album. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, see, uh, I, I like that too. So there are a ton of little guilty pleasures. Oh, uh, I was sitting down. Uh, we got just this tiny bit of Wi-Fi signal next to this creek by where we're staying, and I was down there the other day at sunset, just relaxing and. I was listening to Surrealistic Pillow, the uh, early Jefferson Airplane album, the one with White Rabbit and Somebody to Love okay. on it. Okay. Um, but it has a lot of other songs, and Yorma Cochran and the guitarist actually has like a weird, rubbery, uh, surfy guitar style. And uh, 
I I just love his playing, and I love I love that album, and I'm I'm a sucker for '60s, you know, Haight Ashbury era yeah. psychedelia. So um, even if it was top of the pops, because in that case that was essentially a pop record because of its success. But uh, so so. That's a little variety for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, I was going to say. A cumbia playlist I, as well. I mean, it's, we... <laughs> yeah, I love the yeah. assortment of genres there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, another a second question for you before we wrap up. What is the future of Paravion? Do you guys have anything planned for when the pandemic mm-hmm. is over? Any any touring shows, music, anything like that? Well, I hope we'll... And I feel we'll, we'll start to play live again once it's safe. Um, obviously, this year out the window, yeah, yeah. we did have quite a few shows, um, you know, before everything shut down that we had to cancel. Um, we'll be writing new music. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure of it. I know it. Yeah, I think uh, what I mean, what she said, of course, is correct. But we we did uh, we were setting sights on a year of california like we wanted to do a lot of california gigs we were already set to do something at forbidden island through tanoa um auto was going to have us back at tiki oasis um the pike in long beach the bar and restaurant that's run by chris reese is a has been one of our favorite little places to play for just because it has so much vibe and we so we had this beautiful little uh, schedule starting to mature and um and versus other years where we've been a little more ambitious like oh let's go to europe and play some shows in spain or do something in france which we've done we've played a little bit uh in europe and although it's incredibly fun including uh, oh yeah lorenzo's um surfer joe festival in italy and we love all that stuff but it's an incredible amount of work and it the sad thing is that it actually detracts from making the music it's oh, not that we yeah. don't like yeah. doing it you know yeah um, i hadn't so thought of that playing, yeah by playing domestically makes it easier all right right okay last question if people want to uh, get this new CD, where can they get that? It is uh, now available at all of the all of the tr- basic outlets for digital, and we will be putting, uh, we will be pressing a 7-inch with Oh, a, very nice. A 33 RPM 7-inch with four songs oh, wow. on each side. Oh, how cool but is the, that? Yeah, that'll take a few weeks at least, but right now the... Uh, you know, iTunes, Spotify, all of the basics. It's only available for streaming. We haven't put out any CDs. Okay. Um, and the okay. best way to find the best way to find it is actually with the project title, which is Perro Avion, P E R R O A V I O N. And um, we'll also and put a link. We'll put a link down below for all of our listeners to it in the description, so so people can click right to it. Well, Adrian, you rock. I'm. I really enjoyed this. Even if even if you, even if you accidentally lost the tape, this was a this was a, this was a total blast. Oh yeah, I, I enjoyed it too. And as always, I appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to speak with us at Inside the Desert Oasis Room. And uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Awesome. All right, my man. Thank you so much, Adrian. Mahalo. Mahalo. Cheers, everybody. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Cheers and aloha. Aloha.